Good morning. So you guys came back. <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. That's good. That's good. Actually, uh, Dan had a good word last week. He said, you know, after that sermon, he might have just said, will you leave me too? Like Jesus said of the disciples. No, it was, a, it was a needed word. I've been asked many times, why do you choose to preach on money? We just got over 300. Now look. It's okay. We just need to weed out some from time to time and make chairs, I guess. Um, so anyway, you know, it's in the Bible. That means I'm kind of obligated to preach it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and uh, on that note, I don't know if you knew this, but... Jesus Christ taught more about money than any other topic in all of the New Testament except for one thing, the kingdom of God. So if I preach it once or twice a year, I think I'm in decent company. I probably should preach it more. But nevertheless, uh, I'll do what the Lord leads me to do. Let us both do what we'll be held responsible for, and you'll be held responsible for whatever it is that you do. So let us both do what God has called us to do. All right, so let's get into the text. We're going to be in Judges chapter 7. I think many of you thought I was going to Revelation this week. And um, I appreciate it. Um, I think that's a lion. Brought me some animal crackers. I had a little bit of the shakes. I don't know if it's my sugars or something. But anyway, if you, if you see that, I'm going to try not to do that. But anyway, um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 7 today, Judges chapter 7 verses 1 through 8. If you know your Bibles, you'll know this is the story of Gideon and the 300, uh, started out as 32,000. And so I want to teach you from Judges chapter 7 verses 1 through 8 today, and we will start our Revelation series together, and uh, then we will start, and that way we can set our, uh, our hands to the plow and not look back. And I have looked and looked, and I've not seen anybody preach that series all the way through Revelation in less than 81 weeks. So that's about a year and a half, not, not a year and a half, but that's, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot. That's about a year and a half worth of sermons. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and you know how I am. I, I kind of drag my feet a little bit if I get caught in a text or even a word. So uh, just pray, but that's, that's what the Lord is leading me to do, and I've had confirmation from many of you that uh, you're very excited about this, you're looking forward to it, and I am too. I wonder why we're looking for, forward to it so much. I think because Revelation is shrouded in such mystery, uh, and there are so many crazy interpretations to Revelation that, that we want to see what the preacher's going to say, you know? Can, yeah, can you find the Apache helicopters in the tanks? Um, <clears throat> hey, you'll just have to keep guessing until I get there, Okay. Uh, but I am excited about it. I'll tell you one thing, and I'm going to move on, that Revelation, the, the, the study of Revelation has done for me, um, is that I have, I, I've read over Revelation, I've read through Revelation several times in my Christian life, uh, but I've never really studied it in depth until recently. I've been really studying the book and trying to, trying to pour over it and get the proper context and the historical context and, and the true meaning behind it and what that means and all this kind of stuff. So I've been really studying it. And the first sentence, the first phrase in the whole book really uh, encapsulates or it, it, it encompasses or it sums up the entire book. Many try to find many different things in Revelation, but Revelation sets the pace for itself when it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You can see Jesus more clearly in Revelation than maybe any other book of the Bible. And it it hits it over and over and over. Who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, how people should respond to Jesus, what Jesus does when people don't respond properly, what he does when they do respond properly. It's all about Jesus Christ and what he has done redemptively and what he will do in the end to consummate all of time and what he is going, what that, what that means for me and for you, but it's all about Jesus Christ. So looking forward to that, anticipating that, I can't wait. March 12th, that will begin. But today I want to preach out of what the Lord just landed. I mean, he just, he just poured this out on me one day. Uh, when I was at the gym, actually, I was working out and I was just listening to some to, to some worship mu- worship music and and as I'm working out, I was actually just running on an elliptical and just trying to lose some of this right here because the summertime's coming. Uh, so I'm working, I'm sweating, you know, and I'm trying to get it done and 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 the Lord, I'm just praying the whole time. You know, that's a good time to seek the Lord and just kind of forget about everything else because you got to think about something anyway. Because I hate to run, so. I'm running, and, and the Lord just hits me with this word. He hits me with this, with, this, with this word from the Lord that the Holy Spirit just, it rose up in me. It did a work inside of me, and it actually convicted me about what we eat with us on Wednesday nights, and, and we pray for each other. We confess our sins to one another. We, uh, we slap each other. Uh, we, we correct, we encourage, we lift up, we cushion, we do what, what God calls us to do. It's a very good group. So I'm sharing this, and I'm, trying, I'm just trying to, to, to share what the Lord had laid on my heart and, 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 and the conviction that the Lord had brought to me. And I tell you, I've got some issues. Sometimes I can forget that I've got issues, and sometimes I can pretend that I don't have issues because of all the pressures to not have issues as a pastor. It is very, very difficult, and there's a lot of pressure being up here to walk the walk and and be the guy, you know, the perfect guy who never sins. He's got it all together, right? And so sometimes I can get into this groove. (laughs) Sometimes I can get into this mindset that that I've got to be perfect. I've got to have my own righteousness in order to be able to do what I do. I can't let anybody see a flaw. And let's go ahead and say there is a level of righteousness that should be expected of a leader in the church. I agree. Amen. There are qualifications for elders. There are qualifications for deacons. There are qualifications for those who uh, tend to take a teaching or preaching or leadership position in the church. And that is good. It's solid. It's biblical. Amen. But it's wrong to think that that man has a righteousness or a perfection on his own and that he never slips and he never falls or he never stumbles or he never even doubts. And some pastors, myself, I tend to do this as well. They will get into this place where they feel like they've got to be perfect, but they're not. No man is. But what they do because they start feeling this way is they'll put up this wall. They'll put up this facade. And they don't mean to. I can see how they fall into it. I fell into it myself. They'll put up this facade, and they will then start to pretend to be perfect, and they will hide all of their flaws, thinking many times uh, out, of, out of a desire to benefit their congregation, that it will help their congregation so that they can have this example, this, 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 uh, this, this, this power, this, uh, uh, this worthiness to be followed. You follow what I'm saying? But the problem is, is that what it does is it sets a false testimony. 
It sets a false standard and it ends up hurting your relationship with your congregation because they see you at a level that they can never get to. And it absolutely separates you from the people because you can't sympathize with them and you can't relate to them. And so I've always, from the very beginning, tried and prayed, Lord, help me to be real, help me to be transparent, help me to relate to the people, and help me to repent and turn from any sin that even starts to creep into my life. So here I am, I'm running on the treadmill, and one, you know, why are you even running on the treadmill? Is it because you want to be healthy for your family and you want to take care of the temple that the Lord gave you, or is it because you want to look good for the ladies? Pride starts to creep in. And what I found was this. And the Lord hit me with it. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me. And I don't want you to look down on me, but you probably will anyway because you're a bunch of judgmental hypocrites, right? <laughs> me too. Me too. Okay? So here I am. I'm, I'm running on the, the elliptical and I'm doing my workout and, 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 and I'm, I'm listening to this upbeat music. So I'm like, whew, yeah, oh, I'm starting to get into it. And then I, I look around and I see this guy looking at me. I don't think he was looking at me like that. Y'all chill out. That's not what I meant, okay? But I think he was like, he was sizing me up. Wonder how much he can bench press. Right? So it's this prideful thing. So I started looking at him. I was like, he's judging me. He was prideful. He's, he's wanting to be the strongest one in the gym. And then the Lord sent this word to me. He said, you looked up to see if anybody was looking at you. You looked up to see if he was looking at you. Pride. How many times, and all you gym rats, there's some gym rats in here. How many times you, you're working out and you're just looking in that mirror? <laughs> don't, they, don't you do that? And you're like, you, you, wear, a, you wear a sleeve to t-shirt because you don't want to be like the, the tank top wearers in there, you know, because they're really prideful and you go to church. <laughs> but as you're lifting out and you've got your, you've got your sleeve t-shirt on, you, you accidentally slip and pull your sleeve up and you're like, oops, oops. You're laughing because I'm talking about you. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know. And so the, the, the gym, it breeds pride, right? And, and, and it shouldn't. The gym's, just, the gym's just neutral. And Chris, I'm not trying to beat you down, brother. I know you own a gym. Like, you're not, you're not making people do these things, okay? You got Jesus displayed everywhere. It's their sinfulness that brings it out. But you know what? Why do we do that? And I do it too, right? We, we, we work out like crazy or, and it might not be the gym. Maybe it's, you, you're, you're really working at your job because you, you want that raise, you want that money, you want that nicer car. Why? What's wrong with the car that you got? Ain't nothing wrong with that car. You just want one that makes people go like this when you go by. Little kids, like I was pulling to the parking lot, Bojangles parking lot yesterday morning, and this woman's walking with her kid. And as I pull through the parking lot in my truck, the kid goes, ooh, mommy, truck, I like that truck. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> Little boys want, my, want a truck like mine. You know, it pulls this out of us. It draws this, this arrogance, this pride. We got to have the biggest, the best. Why? This is what the message is today. Why? The message is, is that America, in gen America specifically, but the world in general, has sold us on the idea and how manhood is wrapped up in what people think about you and how successful you are in the terms of the world in any aspect that you want to be. 
We want to be the biggest and the strongest, the most cut. And that's what the TV sells us. We want to be the fastest and the loudest, and that's what the TV sells us. We want to have the most money, and that's how we determine how much we are worth. We are in love with our money. As a matter of fact, last week had a guy stand up and just walk out. Walk out. And he might even be back here today. I don't know. But I asked myself, why? said, told the guy on the way out, that guy shouldn't be preaching about money. You need to go tell him that. Well, I've preached on a lot of sin really hard. Why that? And it's because you don't touch my money. Now, it could have been another guy or another girl if I preached on another topic. You see, the bottom line is, is that we start to build our identity. We start to build our essence. We start to build our character and our need and our foundation on the things of the world. And as soon as those things are start to, as soon as they start to be challenged, we crumble. You want to know what the God is in your life? What was the last thing you lost and crumbled? By definition, that thing was holding you up and doing what God was supposed to be doing. What is success? What does it mean to be a powerful, biblical man of God and be successful in Jesus' terms, in the Holy Spirit terms, in terms of the Father that he proclaims for us to walk in? What is biblical success in manhood? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. And that's what I want to get to. And I find that it's a continual battle. It's a continual battle because it's not just coming from external sources leading me to this place, but it's coming from within. To tell you the truth, I don't need the TV to tell me that I want everybody to love me. I just want everybody to love me. I never taught my three-year-old to lie and to manipulate to make himself the center of the universe. He just does. One of the first words that little children learn is what? Mine. Mine. What cartoon was that? Mine, 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 mine. Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. That's what all the kids are like, mine. It's like, this is not yours. They're grabbing something of mine. And this is something that, uh, that belongs to an adult. Mine. And you know what? And I'm getting off topic here, but I'm going to say this. If you allow your child to continue to say mine and then you just give it to them, then you have confirmed that it is theirs. And you are building a monster with a God complex. That child needs to be told, no, this is mine. <laughs> Amen? Amen? They got to know that's not yours. That belongs to somebody else because not everything in the world belongs to you. Right? They don't just say mine on anything. I mean on specific things. They say mine on everything. Mine, 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 mine. So here we are. This comes from the inside, this <laughs> complex to be the hero. See, that's what, the, that's what it is at the end of the day. We all want to be the hero. We want to be the hero. Look at all the American movies. Look at them. Rambo, um, Commando, uh, oh, 
what, what, I mean, there's, there's tons, but I just keep going on, on and on, on. I am legend. Uh, all of these movies. What's, what's the common denominator? There's one guy who miraculously saves the entire world all by himself. And he gets all the glory. You know where they ripped that story off from? The Bible. All of those are coming out of a subconscious that Jesus Christ is the one sole God-man that defeated the enemy by himself because everybody else couldn't. They robbed that story from the Bible because Jesus is the real Rambo. He's the real Superman. He's the real Arnold Schwarzenegger who carries a log like this. Right? Jesus is the only Superman. And so we all tend to rise up and try to be God, and it just always ends in failure. And that word you had earlier, Brother Matt, where you at? You know that word you had earlier? That was absolutely from the Lord because it is the exact same word that he gave me, and you had no idea. It was the same word. Let's get into the word of God. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. I want to open it up to you. I want to read this story. We're going to find some nuggets in here. I want to unpack it a little bit. And I want to talk to you about the biblical definition of manhood and what it means to be a successful man. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount... And the Lord said to Gideon, 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. God, I pray that you would set it into our hearts. Um, Compensate for my lack of righteousness. Compensate for my lack of wisdom and my lack of uh, charisma or whatever else. Lord, I pray that it would just be a voice, just a vessel, and that your word would be heard and that it would be accepted and written on the hearts of the people. Guard them from any untruth. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
and the 300. Amazing story with so much here that it would be impossible to cover every little aspect uh, in every little way. But I do want to touch on several things that the Lord showed me through this uh, text of Scripture and brought to my mind. After that incident in the gym, he, he laid some word on me, and then he said, and I said, Lord, what Scripture? What Scripture? Because a lot of the times, and I have people tell me this all the time, the Lord told me Okay, all right. What scripture references did he use when he told you that? Okay, we got to test every spirit by the word of God. Every prophecy needs to be tested by the word of God. So he laid this scripture on me, and I go back and I read this. And I've been reading this story for a little while now, and I actually did a little thing on it uh, at a little basketball Devo thing. And so the Lord's been kind of pressing this into me, and, and I went back and looked, and he said, Brandon, I want you to know what it is to be a biblical man and what it is to be successful in the eyes of the Lord and what it is to be uh, powerful and, and what it is to be a great husband, a great daddy, a great Christian in this world. And he took me to the story of Gideon along with a few other verses that I'll bring out here in just a minute to show me what that kind of looked like. A few things I want to open up and kind of uh, unpack a little bit as we go through the story. <clears throat> Starting in verse, too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Here is Gideon. He's about to go to war, go to war with the Midianites, and uh, he's got 32,000 troops strong, and they are going to go in and devour the Midianites. Uh, God has called him to go to war and to, and to uh, overcome the Midianites, but there's a problem. The problem is, is that Gideon has too, uh, too big of an army. He's got too, uh, he's too strong. He's too powerful in the flesh. He, he, he's got too many resources. He's got too much money. He's got too much men. He's got, he's got too much. So the Lord says, uh, you can't go. I'm not sending you in the battle with this much power, with this much physical strength. Uh, because if I do and you win, then I don't get any glory. I don't get any glory if you have all of these resources and win because you'll just say my own hand has delivered me. Yeah, we won the battle. You know, along comes the little Christian boy and says, yeah, God set you free. Oh, no, God didn't have nothing to do with that. I did this. I earned this. So Gideon had too much power. He had too much strength. He had too much might. So the Lord says, you can't go with this many people because I will not get all of the glory. You know, God started to prune Gideon. God started to cut away good things. Is it a bad thing for a, a commander of a soldier to have a large army? Is it a bad thing to have all of these troops marching out in power? Wouldn't the enemy look and be terrified and maybe even not have to fight? Is it a bad thing to have all of this stuff? It is a bad thing if you're a prideful, arrogant man because then God does not get the glory. So God cuts him down to size. Now, how many of us, how many of us have been in situations in our life and God jerks the rug out from under us and we shake our fist at God like he's done something wrong? When all along God was leading you to the place where you needed to be in order that he might get the glory for your victories. In America, we're needing God. We are far too rich. We are far too rich. 
the pastor of the church preaches that the Bible teaches that you need to give your money and you get so mad that you storm out. We love our money. We depend on our money. And we're so rich that we never need God anyway. And you think, I'm not rich, I'm poor. <laughs> Go to Nicaragua. Come back and tell me you're poor. You might be poorer than the guy sitting beside you, but you are not poor. At all. At all. Now, in America, do we really even need God? Do we? Do we, do we, do we, are we forced to depend on God? You have to keep yourself in such check because you have so much. In other countries, they have to depend on God. You see, God knocking you off of your high horse is a blessing. When God cuts something off of you, it is a blessing because we have been fooled into thinking that success is, it is measured by how much money or fame or success or power or looks or beauty or whatever else. And the Lord says, no. It has nothing to do with any of that. And as a matter of fact, all of that can be really dangerous because it leads you to a place to think that you are God and that you deserve everything. It takes you back. Now, you might not say it, but with your thoughts and with the desires of your flesh, you're crying out, mine, mine, mine. That's why we are up to our eyeballs in debt junk that we don't even need it's all gonna burn so God leads this <clears throat> leads this army into battle but he says you're too strong you have too much I'm going to cut you down to size so that you don't fall into the pit of pride and think that you had anything to do with this so he cuts them down he says the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying whoever is fearful and trembling let him return home and away from Mount Gilead then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained what did he do? He pruned. He pruned. And what else do we see in here that we might just read over real quick? He did not make the people leave. He did not make the resources leave. He asked the men, if you're scared, you can go. Gone. 22,000 men who were supposed to be warriors, who were supposed to hold him up, who were supposed to provide for him, who were supposed to protect him, who were supposed to be there for them. You know what this means? All the stuff that you depend on is gone in a flash. At the slightest, at the slightest hint of a problem, gone. You get sick, you lose your job, all the wealth, gone. You think it's going to hold you up? The Lord teaching you and leading you to depend on him is a prized possession. It is a blessing. 22,000 men out the door. Now, from 22,000 to 10,000, that means he had how many? 32,000 in the beginning. 22,000 hit the door, 10,000 remained. He says, now therefore... Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. 
He cut them in half, less than half. Less than half, and the people are still too many. You know, a lot of us in here, we think that we are poor, and we think, we definitely don't think, I, I would almost guarantee you, if I, had, if I did a poll in here, and I asked, how many people in the room are rich? And you answered it. Not one person in the room would say they were rich. You know why? It's because we tend to gather everyone around us who are like us. And the reason that we don't see that we're rich is that our brother, our sister, our neighbor, our friends, they are like us. And so we're people who are uh, on a poverty level that are way below us. There are people right here in our city who live in shacks with no power. There are people right here in our community that do not eat because they uh, don't have any money or any resources. There are children being neglected and abused. But we can't see that. We can't see our standing. We can't see our richness. We can't see all of our, uh, all of our resources because we just see the person beside us. And I'm not rich. Look at him. But if we would just look over here, we would realize just how rich we are. 22,000 other people left. The people are still too many. You see, how rich we are in our minds will be determined by the, by the testing, by the standard, by the norm that is around us. You have no idea how desperately you need to get out of your comfort zone for your own sake. I'm not even saying that for the sake of the people who need you to go and bless them. They need that too. But you need to go. You need to go down the street to the impoverished neighborhood. I need to go to Nicaragua. You need to go to Spartanburg inner cities. I do for our own benefit so that we can see just how God has blessed us. And that way when the pastor of the church asks you to give so we can provide more for those around us, you will say, sure, I can't believe how good it's blessed me. Take more. How much more do you need? What's the needs I need to give? God hit me this week, and it broke my heart, and I cried because I said, I don't give enough. The heart of a true servant never says, how dare you ask me for that much? But they say, God, how much can I give and still make it? I need to give. You need to give, not for them, for you. If we sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And God wants to pour out blessing upon blessing. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to lift you up and give you great power. But we're too self-sustaining. We are too selfish. And it's not just money. It's time. It's giftings. It's, it's, it's our minds. Our hearts. But you won't give it up in order to receive. Had a conversation this morning about Job. And it was like, uh, Job was, did wrong. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? It does. It looks like Job was done wrong. It looks like, how could God do that to him? And from a human perspective, we say, Amen. <clears throat> but something came out of that conversation and we say you know never had thought about it like this before but do you know how much faith God had in Job you ever thought about that before you know Job was wailed on and it what 
Satan came and he said, there's nobody good. Told God, ain't nobody good around here. Not one of them. Well, Job was out of, out of the, off the radar. He wasn't on Satan's radar. He wasn't in the scope. He wasn't in the line of sight. It was God the one that said, oh, yeah? Have you thought about Job over there? I can just see Job now going, huh, what? Whoa, whoa, hold up. God said, have you considered Job? And Satan's like, well, I hadn't, but now. Now I am. But you know, God, he don't love you either. The only reason he loves you, the only reason he's true, oh, sinner, listen, oh, Christian, let me ask this of you. What if Satan came? What if God said, have you considered Adam? Have you considered Jordan? Have you considered, have you considered, have you considered, have you considered my servant? And Satan's like, well, no, I hadn't. But now I have. What if he said of you? What if he said, Satan, what if Satan said of you, Dwayne? He says, Dwayne only loves you because he's got, he's so blessed. He's got so much. He's got 32,000 troops is the only reason he'll march into that battle for you. He's got his family. He's got his help. He's got money. He's got a good job. What if he said it of you? And what if God said, no, I know he loves me. I know that Adam is a man of God. And he doesn't love me because I've blessed him. He loves me because he loves me. And Satan says, no, he doesn't. Calling God a liar. The faith that God had in Job. To say, Satan, hit him. Take it. Watch what happens. He hit him. We know the story. Job struggled. He screamed at God. He yelled at God. He didn't get it. He had very stupid friends that lied to him and led him in the wrong direction. But he never turned his back on God. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost everything. Everything. Where he was at the end, sitting on an ash heap with shards of clay and glass, ripping the wounds off of his arms and tearing his flesh. Because he was so disgusting, his skin began to rot. God, in so many ways, depends on whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. God did that one way or the other, actively or permissively. Either way, if God hadn't said, have you considered Job, would have never happened. Here Job is cutting his flesh off, trying to find comfort, and he never. Now, when the Lord finally, and Job kept saying, God, I've not done anything wrong. I've not done anything wrong. You need to meet with me, Lord. I, I would tell you about all of this. Because so, from our human perspective, we was like, how could God do that? How could God do that? I didn't even plan on speaking about Job this morning. But there was one friend that said something amazing. Elihu. I think was the only wise friend. There's different understandings of that. But I believe that Elihu was a wise friend, even though he was young. His youth was not to be despised, but 
he said this one thing I'll never forget. All the other friends have said, you've sinned. You need to figure out what your sin is. You need to repent. But we know that God, Job didn't sin because in the end of the book, it said in all these things, Job did not sin. But Elihu said one thing that just always stuck out to me. He said, Job, have you ever considered that all of this was to keep you from going down into the pit? Have you ever considered that all of this was to keep you from going down into the pit? In other words, Job, do you not think that God is big enough and has the foresight? Do you not believe that he is, he is sovereign enough to decree that this is what you need in order to not become prideful and arrogant and send yourself straight? You would have said... Not let Satan rip you to shreds. You would have said, my own hand has delivered me. This seeming curse was a blessing. It was what Job needed. It was what God desired. And in the end, God is glorified. Beyond all else, because we know <clears throat> that Job loved God more than anything else. Because if Job would have loved children more, he would have abandoned him when he lost his children. If Job would have loved wealth more, he would have abandoned him when he lost his wealth. If Job would have loved health more, he would have abandoned him when he lost his health. But in all these things, Job did not sin. Even though his wife was sitting looking at him, I can see now, rolling her eyes and shaking her head going, You stupid man, turn your back on God. Curse God and die already. Wives, take example of that, okay? But we know that the Lord had planned all of this out. And in the end, did Job lose? He lost a lot, but in the end, did God not prove faithful and bless him in abundance? Bless him beyond his wildest imagination, which never would have happened if he would have let him continue on in the same path. Like Gideon, he had things cut away so that God could get the glory. And when God spoke to Job, he says, who is this that darkens my counsel? Who is this that stands in front of me? What do you know, Job? What do you know? Job, this, this, this was a blessing to you. Job, do you not understand? Yeah, you might have lost everything, but I gave you the opportunity to stand as a witness for me. And Jesus Christ is the one who is called the faithful witness. Who has everything torn out of his hand and blood runs down his face and onto his body and water gushes from his side as he breathes his last. He gave it all to demonstrate his love for God. Job in this trial got to be a type of Christ and is remembered forever, forever as the man who lost it all in order to prove God's faithfulness. When a trial comes, brother, when a trial comes, sister, embrace it and suffer well for your king. Suffer well. The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and, and I will test them for you there. And any one of <clears throat> whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, was likewise you send them away too. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was thrown. 
300, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink. So here is the test that God puts in front of the people to make sure that, that uh, the ones that need to go, go, so that God gets all the glory. Now, I love this part right here, right? Because America, America your flesh, you, okay, we can leave America out of everybody. Uh, everybody's like, oh, the, the enemy's after me today, and I do it too. Devil's on my back today. The devil's on my back today. The enemy's after me today. Satan's after me today. No, it ain't. It's just you. It's just you. You're the one attacking you. You're the, they say, Satan's on me today. Well, Satan's not omnipresent. So unless you're really important, I doubt that he's like singled you out. Like he's only one place at one time. He's not God, right? And, and there are against spirits and principalities, and I understand that. There are we're, we're wars against spirits and principalities. I understand that. And I do believe that demonic attack is very real. But I know that many, many times... That sin is born when our own temptation, our own lust gives rise to this desire. And when that desire gives birth, there's sin in our lives. Most of it's just coming from you. Most of it's coming from your own fleshly desires. And we have this thing in us that's just rotten. It's just nasty. It's just we want to be number one. So America's telling you that you need to be number one. You need to be number one. We're telling ourselves we need to be number one. We need to be number one. Everybody needs to look at us. We need to be the most powerful. We need to be the most wealthy. We need to be the most most. But God's saying the first will be last and the last will be first. So it's almost exactly opposite of what we think. So here's the test. Now we've got 10,000 men still. Remember, there's still 10,000 men. <clears throat> 10,000 men go down to the river. That's got to be a pretty good-sized river, okay? 10,000 men down to the river. Here's the test, okay? Tell them to go get a drink of water. They go down to get a drink of water. There's two different ways that they drink the water. <clears throat> Some go down, and it says one drinks with just like a dog, but one drinks on his knees. And I just have to think it's like this. They, they kneel down like this. Some kneel down this way, and they scoop some water out, and they drink it. Like a gentleman would. Okay? 9,700 do that. There's these 300 idiots. <laughs> they, they're supposed to be dignified soldiers. But there's these 300 that are like this. <laughs> what are we doing after this, boss? If I will be a fool, I will be a fool for Christ. <laughs> so I can see Gideon now, who like Gideon's is, he's kind of a fearful man if you read all about him, and he needs all this trust. Come on, guys. Which soldiers would you have picked? 9,700 dignified gentlemen or 300 idiots laughing like a dog? I'm sure Gideon's like, okay, God, I know which ones they are. They're the ones that are kneeling. God's like, ha, 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 No. They're the 300 idiots. You know why? Because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Oh, man. We think we got to be all like, click, 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 click. 
And God's like, no, I need you more like this. You know, I, what is that, uh, Chris, what's his name? Anybody know where the gym is? You know, that's how we walk around like this. Chris, yeah. And the police like, yeah, I was just headed to the gym, you know where it is. We got to put on this show, we got to put on this facade. But the Lord says, no, I need the 300 idiots. God, oh man, you know what, I got to learn this. I got to learn this. I got to learn this because that word you gave, brother, man, that is the word. You will never have victory as long as you continue to think that you will have victory. The only way that you can have victory is to submit to the one that said it is finished and who has already won the victory. It's not even your fight. What is the work of those who love God? To believe in the one whom he sent. We spend all this time fixing our hair. Making sure our stuff looks nice. I sprayed the wrinkles. I about just didn't spray any wrinkles out. I don't iron. No more ironing. Spray it on. Put them on. But why would, you know, we do all this. We do all this. And ladies, babe, you're not like this. But ladies, y'all spend like, like, like three, four, five days getting ready. I don't understand. Damn, what could they possibly even find to do? Like, I could have read a book. Jesus, yeah. That's what my three-year-old says. You know, I'll be like... Well, you know, ask him a biblical, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're a smart man. You're a smart. But why do we spend all this time? You know, we, we, we do all of this. We do all this. We get ourselves. But, but God here, he says, everyone who laps with his tongue, laps the water with his, blah, 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 uh, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps. Do you know what the word of just said I want the idiots who act like don't have this idea in our head now okay if I want I had I, I was going over this sermon and I was like oh, Lord I really wanted them to get this I really want them to get this and, and I was like, the Lord's like okay I want you to do I want you to give them an illustration so I already talked to some men so a few men could come forward uh, the men that I talked to any who are willing would you come forward and help me please now the question is like now what are y'all doing come on yeah, get up. You have to get up to walk. All right, so the question is, what does, the, what does a, a man of God look like? Uh, can you help me out too? Yeah, can you help me out? Can you take your shoes off to help me out? No, uh, but you can come up here too, Matt. Okay, now, the question... No, you're going to be down there. I'm sorry. And you'll be down there with her. <clears throat> On the other side, yeah. <clears throat> now, the question is, what does, what does a, a man look like if he is postured properly before the Lord? Now, all of you husbands pay a table that say the man is the leader of the home. 
I say amen. The Bible says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And the church always submits to the Lord. So ladies, whether you like it or not, pick another Bible, the Quran, pick something else. But the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to the Lord. That's just what it says, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. But the men want to pick those out and they say, yes, woman, you submit to me. I am the leader. But the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid, gave himself up for her, washing her in the water of the word. Now, what does that mean, washing her in the water of the word? It means to sanctify her in the word of God that would bring it is to be used by God to lead her in such a way as to elevate her and pick her up and separate her from the world. It is like you are helping pick her up and let her hover across the ground, never getting her feet dirty. That is what sanctification is. It is the cleansing, the purification by the word of God, by the, through the servant of God who is uh, being conformed to the image of Christ who went low in order to pick them up high. So the proper position of a man of God is on his knees with hands raised in submission. Men, listen to me. You cannot... You cannot properly lead your wife, your children, your friends, or anyone and not lead unless you know how to follow. Because he is the leader. And any leading that we do is to lead them to follow him, the true leader. Amen? Now, how far should our submission go? Well, the text says that we are to love our brides, husbands love your wife, as Christ loved the church. So we are to love her just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up completely to her. Completely to her. Let me see. Do I have a, a child in here that would help me out too? Matt, yeah, come on. Come on. There you go. Appreciate it, buddy. Stand right there with her. She's pretty, isn't she? <laughs> Setting it up, brother. You know, a little young, but you know, we'll work it out. All right. Husbands, you cannot lead your wife and you cannot lead your children. The Bible says, Raise up a child in the way that, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. How can you train a child in the way that they should go if you're not in the way that they should go? Complete submission to the Lord. Now, this is a proper posture of heart, but if you really press into the Lord, if you really die to self, what do dead men look like, men of God? that are dead to self. They are completely on their face before the Lord. They have given all. They don't, they don't need to be recognized, and they can't be recognized because their faces are on the ground. You cannot see who they are. They seek no glory. They seek no righteousness. They seek nothing. Nothing. This, this is the proper demonstration 
of what men of God do. This is what men of God do. Daniel, can you come and help me? On that side. You have the bride of Christ, and I'm going to represent the Holy Spirit, and this is the Lord up here. This. You first. Oh, on them. This is how we keep our wives and our children from having to be corrupted. And with our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You guys get up. Thank you, men of God, who are willing to get down on your face, literally, to do the work of the Lord. Men, let me tell you something. And I'm, I'm listen, I do get up here and put on a show sometimes. I don't want to. I don't mean to. But if I'm honest, sometimes I fall into that trap of arrogance and pride. It's probably, well, I don't even say probably, it's my biggest issue. And I pray that I don't do that, but sometimes I do. But I tell you that, that I'm really just trying to do this too. Like this is just what the Lord showed me. And he tested me on it yesterday. I had, to, I had texted out to my group of trusted soldiers. And I said, please pray for me. Because my wife and I are arguing over nothing. And I was so prideful in, in our discourse yesterday, even though I still don't think I did anything. But you know what? Even better. Even better. Let's say I wasn't wrong. You know what? I felt like I had to make sure she knew I didn't do anything wrong. Because I don't deserve for you to look at me the way you're looking at me. I don't deserve for you to talk to me. I even said that, didn't I? Man. And the Lord said, I, I, I allowed this test to show how stupid you are. And to show that, guys, listen to me. You hear me and hear me well. I don't preach this message because I've got this figured out. I need this message just as much as you do. I even thought yesterday, I said, how can I go and do it? How can I go and preach this message? My wife said in the front row, Mo, I just screwed this up yesterday. <laughs> and I screwed up by saying screwed up. <laughs> I said it two more times, dude. I don't, I'm not perfect. If you think I'm preaching up here because I got it all figured out, I, you, I, we've got some problems. This right here. This right here. This is our God. I'm not your leader. I, I am in some regards, but only to lead you into the presence of Jesus Christ. That's all I'm doing. I better be anyway. The moment you start glorifying me and I get some type of fame or some type of whatever, we've, we've lost sight of what we need to be doing. Jesus. 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 Get on your face before Jesus. And he will transform you all. You see, I don't always get down on my face like I should. But there was one, there was one who, who gave it all. 
There was one who didn't just set the example for us, men, but he is also the victor. Christus victor. He is also the one who won the victory, and he is the power and the presence to come into your life, and he will help you to lay down on your face. He will take away your pride. He will take away your arrogance. And he will help you to be a servant who always loves, who always cherishes, who always does these things. It will be in Christ, in Christ alone that these things will be possible. He said, greater things than these shall you do. When the Holy Spirit, and see, here we go back to the supernatural the supernatural. I'm not telling you to work on these things in grit and will and determine to make sure that you do it. You need to be spiritually disciplined. We've talked about that. But the only reason that we're spiritually disciplined is so that the Holy Spirit would be able to come in and do His work because the mind that is set on the Spirit is life and peace. The Holy Spirit is the one who does these things. It's the fruit of the Spirit that carries us along. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all these other things. I long, I long to just walk with you as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we submit to one another. And as I watch you love your wives and lay down yourself for your wife, to, to honor her and to carry her, to love your children and to discipline them, but discipline them with the goal of leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just out of anger. To, to, to be quick to go and, and ask forgiveness for your wife, from your wife. To be quick to go and ask forgiveness from your children when you do fail and mess up, we're going to. Some of the most uh, meaningful times and, and teachable times in the Lord in the lives of my children is when I've lashed out in anger and I have but then when the Lord convicted my soul and I went back and I sat down with my son and I said look son this is what I did that was wrong the Holy Spirit convicted me and I want to ask your forgiveness you know what happened after that I'll never forget it was the first time after that that my son had ever come to me and said Daddy, I want to say I'm sorry about this thing that the Holy Spirit convicted me and I want to do better. Oh. By our submission, we, we lift them up and we bear their burdens and we carry them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we present them as an offering to the King. Guys, you don't have to turn into magnificent warriors. And when that happens, when the Lord takes a dog and turns it into a lion, he gets all the glory. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. This morning, you came in here, somebody, you came in here, and you thought to yourself, I'm wretched. <clears throat> There's no hope for me. I'm not good enough. I, I have all these issues. I have all these Well, don't you understand, oh broken sinner, that you who recognize your brokenness and your dog-likeness, that you are in the perfect position to be redeemed by the King of Kings, to be put to work, to be put to work by the one who gets things done. He doesn't need prideful, arrogant, rich men. He needs broken vessels to carry this diamond. I want to pray for you and I want to open up for response. I'll be down here if you need prayer to overcome.
Maybe you've been harsh to your wife or to your husband, or maybe you've been harsh, somebody's been harsh with you. Maybe, maybe you just feel all, all, all shattered and you need prayer. I don't know what it is, but uh, I know this is family, and I know that I love you. And I want you to come pray with me too because I, I need it. Your pastor's not invincible, I promise you. And when this pastor starts to think that he's the hero of the story, is my worst is my worst moment. So let's pray for each other. How about that? I need your help. I, I, and I want to say this publicly. That group of men that came down here along with several others, I love you with all of my heart. I, I would be a, a big heaping pile of, of steaming stuff. You keep me humble. You correct me. You rebuke me. You slap me and it hurts. But I need it. But then you love on me and you hug me and you lift me up. And I'm thankful for you. And all the rest of you out here, I want to do that for you. And these others want to do that for you. This is a family here. If you need prayer, where you are, come down here, don't matter. You know, get your hand up. Come get somebody. Grab somebody, something, okay? Let's lift each other up. Let's pray. The altar is open. I'm going to pray right quick, and then it will be opened up, and they'll do this last song. Lord Jesus, we, we give all glory to you, God. Uh, many ask that you would help us to... to, to, to to stay humble, to remain humble, God. Uh, many times we get to thinking it's us and we don't even move. We don't even act because we think we're not good enough. But God helps to know that that's the best position to be in. Because then you get all the glory. Help us not to worry about how good we are and, and how, how worthy we are. But let us think about how good and worthy you are. And let that goodness and righteousness dwell in us. And let it transform us. That we might walk along in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when they see those good works, they'll glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you, God, for not needing me to be spectacular. But working in me as a sinner to do spectacular things. Be with your people now as we repent. I pray that you'd grant repentance that you would grant faith and that you would lead us to know how to pray as we seek you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Respond as God has laid on your heart to do so.